0: Scandinavian states and regions of the far north hold many legends of the Ancients, of powerful gods, horrifying beasts, and magical creatures that defy the boundaries of myth and reality. Norse mythology describes the realm of these creatures as they exist in the tree of Yggdrasil. However, could there be more to these legends? Across Scandinavia, people claim to encounter forces and beings not of this, shall we say, realm. Elves, dwarves, and even trolls are said to reside in their territories on the fringes of humanity. Or sometimes even amongst the local populations. So join us as we explore legendary encounters and sites known as homes to these magical creatures along with a special guest, tonight on Into the World.
1: welcome back into the portal i'm amber ray
0: and i'm andrew mckay
1: and we're back with a very special guest hey andrew
0: uh yeah i'd what say so today uh, one of our favorite people in the whole world our uh, good friend justin zenger from the zeng this podcast what's up buddy
2: uh nothing much thanks thank you guys so much for having me on it's it's truly a pleasure and i'm excited because um we get to talk about some fun stuff today well yeah. continue continue to talk about some fun stuff technically
0: Exactly. So, for everyone listening, we started this uh, crazy little discussion over on Justin's show, which is the Zing This podcast, which you can get pretty much everywhere. Is that is that am I correct?
2: If hey, if you're listening into the portal, I'm pretty sure you can listen to Zing This. Yeah. Oh hell yeah! Plug plug plug. <laughs>
0: So go check that out, you guys, because we covered, well, rather, Zenger more so covered some really cool specific stories uh, having to do with things like Thor's hammer and connections with some of the creatures that we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. More of the sort of the detail storytelling aspect Mm -hmm. of it, which is really important because it contextualizes what we're going to discuss in tonight's The whole
1: mythological basis for everything, really. Exactly.
2: I just wanted an excuse to talk about Ragnarok, so...
1: Yeah. So everyone <laughs> win? wins, right? It's a win-win-win.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. No housekeeping today, you guys. We're skipping it because we just want to dive right into this. We'll have time for some housekeeping uh, next week, mm-hmm. next week's episode. Okay. So you gleaned this from the introduction, but today we're talking about some monsters. I'm air quoting here saying humanoid creatures, if you will, uh, of myth and legend and of course seen in modern pop culture and fantasy, and these are Scandinavian creatures that are dwarves, elves, trolls, and hinderfolk, uh, depending on... What's that, sorry, Hildafolk. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. Depending on uh, where exactly you are, Iceland, uh, Norway, Finland, Sweden, all these Scandinavian states have sort of subtle variations of what we're going to talk about today. But the crux of the episode is this sort of hilarious fact that I find extremely fascinating, and obviously you guys do too, that some of these people that live in these states believe these creatures to be very, very real. And consequently, people who research this stuff all across the pond where we are tend to believe that they could possibly be real or have been at one point real as well. Mm -hmm. So let's kick things off by talking about elves. Does that sound good to you
2: guys? All right. I have questions, but I'll let you guys talk first because you might answer them.
0: Okay, cool. I just want to do a tiny little intro on elves, and then there's Zanger's question block right beneath that. (laughs) So one of the things that we kind of talked about in in the part one with your episode, Justin, was the idea that there's kind of a lot of blurring uh, with Mm -hmm. these stories, and it's tough to kind of distinguish, for example, when we're talking about giants and then the association with very large things, and then we end up talking about trolls, for example. Or dwarves sometime being referenced in regards to elf-like creatures, or vice versa, and things like that. So it gets a little hairy, the lines between things like elves and other spiritual beings, even like the gods, which we talked about in Mm your part one, it gets a little hairy. It's not exactly clear, um, depending on where we look, from Iceland to Norway or other places. These indigenous creatures can be can be very very different, but specifically with the elves, I pulled this uh, from a, a book called "Myth and Religion of the North: uh, The Religion of Ancient Scandinavia," and it talks about how elves are. Kind of mischievous creatures. I'm reminded of Loki a little bit from some of the uh, the stories you told at the beginning because mm-hmm. it, they're described in this text as ambivalent uh, in terms of their relationships with humans. They can commonly cause illnesses with humans, but they are also said to have the powers to heal them. And essentially, they're just small creatures that remain hidden in rocky outcrops and remote areas of places like Iceland. So... Let's get into some more details on this, Amber. But before, Janger, questions. What do you got on your mind?
2: You just actually hit a nail on the head of something. Now, maybe it's my rereading of Lord of the Rings. Maybe it's my playing WoW a lot. Maybe it's my time spent in Skyrim. But you said little people, like smaller people. Right. For elves. When I think of elves, I think of six foot pointy pointed ear have a bow very ethereal Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but at the same time i've seen stuff like um disenchantment where elves are referred to as these little tiny creatures with pointed ears totally or harry potter little tiny creatures with pointed ears that are very mischievous
0: how about christmas very tiny
2: elves. elves.
1: That
2: is I correct mean, as well. If we want to
0: chuck that out
2: too, right? <laughs> so maybe it's the token aspect that's throwing that off a little bit. But I was wondering what description these are going to have, and since you said on the tinier side, I'm like, okay, all right.
0: Yeah, and I mean, when I say that, I definitely am not wa- uh, leaning towards like pixie sized by any means, right? And not even in the sense like an elf, like the house elf, like Dobby the house elf, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly not necessarily this six foot plus.
1: Uh, hmm. Let me just intervene right all, before the, all, you finish time, that sentence. All the time
0: is all I was going to say because
1: all I have a quote here from. Andrew McKay, other (laughs) Andrew McKay. It's not me. It's It's not not Andrew McKay that's sitting here talking to us right now, but it's a different Andrew McKay. And he is actually uh, quite a prominent author. He has this Life in Norway article. Um, He's written extensively about Norse mythology, creatures associated with such, including elves. And I will just go ahead and say that Andrew McKay (laughs) says that elves are tall, slim, slim. Demigods, pale skin and hair, more beautiful than the sun. And that's the, kind of a the demigod rough quote there. part
0: of that description is interesting too. I want to come back to that sure. because I think that's the distinction between the idea of larger versus potentially more dwarf-like or smaller.
1: True. And he doesn't go ahead and say six feet, but he does say tall. And he does refer to them as demigods, which in my mind almost speaks to like a similar concept with what we were talking about in part one on your show, Zanger, mm-hmm. where you mentioned that uh, the gods are not. Mortal in the sense that they'll die of old age, however, they could perhaps die of other things, like, you know, a mortal wound or something like that. Right. And that kind of reminds me of the elves to a certain degree. And also in the sense that a lot of times when you speak of elves, you're thinking of creatures that are that grow to be much older than the average human, right? Like hundreds hundreds, if not thousands of mm-hmm. years old. Definitely. Mm-hmm. But they're they're interesting folk, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned Lord of the Rings right off the top there, Zanger, because I was definitely reminded a lot of that um, when we were looking into this, especially in the sense that they're more or less described as morally ambivalent in their relations with the human world, which is kind of what we saw in Lord of the Rings at the beginning, right, where they were like, oh, like, I don't think we should intervene in this, this is not our war, and la 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 la. However, although they are pretty much autonomous, and they live in their own realm, which is Elfheim... Elfheim? I hope I'm saying that right. Elfheim. Elfheim. (laughs) Go ahead and uh, correct me. Cool. (laughs) Yes. But, anyways, they rarely are said to intervene in human affairs. But they do do very helpful things, such as either, well, they can cause or cure illnesses. And like I said already, they can also age at a much slower rate than human beings themselves. So they do have these sort of like supernatural qualities to them.
0: So they did really emphasize that in Lord of the Rings, I guess, mm-hmm. obviously with her greatly outliving. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, my gosh, the name is slipping. Aragorn. Yeah, exactly. Right. And Son of Arathon. Right. And then, of course, her father being, you know, kind of pissy about how doesn't really <laughs> care about anything other than elves superior species <laughs> live a lot longer yada 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 my hair is really straight I don't use a straightener or whatever you may I am
1: a be beautiful into. man and I don't need to care <laughs> yeah that's kind of that definitely goes hand in hand like a lot of what we see visually in Lord of the Rings is what I've kind of picked up from especially from this McKay article that I read and <laughs> even in the sense of these being like graceful you know what I mean like they're very beautiful they're graceful. These ethereal beings as he calls them mm-hmm. and they do live in these naturalistic settings like meadows and forests all that kind of jazz so that being said elves are not all that like you know they have a bad side to them too mm-hmm. to a certain degree and that's where we get into this like perhaps there's two types of elves or like we covered in part one in zanger the idea that there's a dark and a light elf and that these dark elves could maybe be dwarves. So we're already bleeding into that a little bit here.
0: Yeah, a little bit of crossover. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you want to throw out these couple of names here? Do you want to attempt to pronounce these? Uh...
1: Uh, not really. I will say that the two groups are known in <laughs> anglicized terms as being blacker than pitch and lighter than the sun. Just to give you a nice little bifurcation there. Okay, okay. Like that. <laughs> However, as McKay notes, not this McKay, but the other McKay, right? <laughs> he says that this is actually disputed by many scholars, and that this could be an attempt to introduce the good versus evil concept. So this could be like almost like a Christianization to a certain degree.
0: Yeah, which which gets, yeah, which makes things even more muddied and and blurry. Obviously, because we're looking at the crossover from like, Germanic creatures and beliefs and, like, nor- or, uh, like uh, nomadic populations that then settled these Scandinavian states. And then there's these stories bleeding in with, like, different tribal stories and stuff, and that's all oral tradition. And then we've got the Christian stuff that comes in mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a little bit strange, but I wanted to throw up these questions to you, Justin, before we keep moving here, because we've got the realms of the elves. Mm-hmm. So the... Alfheim being one, and then I'm gonna just gonna make you pronounce that second one there—the realm of the black elves. Maybe <laughs> you can speak to these two realms here. There you way. go.
2: That was good. Svartheim, also as I pointed out in part one, also known as Nidavellir.
0: Right. Hmm. Yes.
2: Yes. Which might sound familiar to some of you MCU fans, because yes, that was mentioned. In there, we also got introduced to dwarves as well. And actually, yeah, you got introduced to a lot of that stuff if you watch an MCU film. As I said, though, that's a whole (laughs) different realm of me explaining the problems and differences there. But yes, but as I said, with Svartalheim um, and Elfheim, Svartalheim, black elves, but also that's the same realm dwarves are from, allegedly. Right.
1: Mm. Right. So, so it's just like a con- conflation of the two to a certain degree, you know what I mean? It could the I-
0: be. <laughs> the idea that they're almost, um, like for lack of a better term, like genetically related in terms of the mythology in some mm-hmm. way, like they're they're almost like, not ancestors because they're existing at the same time, but that's just sort of a weird distinction there especially when we get into some modern stuff that we're going to talk about in a second when people say encounters with elves as I'm air quoting here in places like Iceland they which ones are they dealing with Mm -hmm. is my question you know what I mean
1: another way you could look at it potentially is the idea that uh this light versus dark good versus evil um better versus worse this is just my own phrasing but the idea that uh, dwarves are seen as diminutive creatures to a certain degree and perhaps are just seen as lesser, even though they make these incredible things. But anyways, that's just me imposing a hierarchy that may or may not exist. <laughs> in also, these
2: you're imposing good and evil on something that could technically not have it even.
1: Right. Well exactly. Exactly. And that's what McKay gets into in his uh in his article there is the idea that was this just a superimposition of these terms good and evil and all this kind of thing. Did it come much later? Um right. Yeah. So we did kind of, (laughs) we dug up, of course, you're on into the portal here. So we're talking about perhaps some real encounters with these creatures. So we're going to a couple of different articles here discussing how elves are perhaps an everyday thing in Iceland, uh, things that are acknowledged by the government, uh, also by multi-million dollar like construction firms. (laughs) Building projects—it's
0: something they have to deal with, and this is a, a, a very allegedly s- stark contrast from the straight-up mythology that we were talking about in part one.
1: Well, exactly. It seems like the elves are coming out of their realm into the realm of humans. So, to speak.
0: <laughs> so before we before we even jump right into this, Justin, do you have any thoughts on that? Have you heard of anything like this before, at beyond the mythology?
2: So I've heard stuff with like the Hilda folk and stuff like that, um, gnomes, um, more or less in Iceland to where like they'd avoid building like roads and stuff because oh, there's uh like but I've I've heard that that's drastically exaggerated, but at the same time I'm like I don't live there, so I don't know.
0: Mhm. But
2: I mean Norse mythology is something that's still relevant there and in other parts so I mean yeah and also as I've said before Troll Hunter you know I know it's fake but I mean at the same time this could totally be real
0: <laughs> I you, I just and don't you just want it to be you, re- yeah, I, exactly. I think I say that every five minutes when I'm watching that movie I'm like damn it like <laughs> I just want this to be found footage
1: so bad like, <laughs> you were saying the same thing when we were watching Kong Skull Island the other day like why can't these <laughs> things be real yeah
0: why can't we find a, an uncharted island in the South Pacific still? That would be great. I would be all over that.
2: No, I mean, I, I find interesting, and I'm very intrigued to hear these reports and stuff, you guys. were, we're Sorry, that we are about to dive into.
0: Ah, indeed. <laughs> well, let's, let's get into it then, Amber. Let's, okay. let's talk about this. Okay,
1: I've got a few here. The first is from a South China Morning Post article dated from May 2016, and it's uh, titled, No Doubt... Iceland's elves exist. Anthropologists certain that creatures live alongside regular folk. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. And so this actually is discussing how these invisible people known as elves are something that locals just have to deal with. Um, And like I already mentioned off the bat here, examples such as moving construction sites to prevent meddling with elves, things like fishermen going, refusing, I should say, to go out to sea because of warnings they believe to be from these invisible things or Visible to some, invisible to most. And there's this guy I dug up in this article, Magnus Scarfendinson. Hope I'm saying that right. Close enough. Anthropologist. And after decades of research, he actually believes that elves do exist. Hmm. Figuratively or physically, or I don't know. But he goes on to tell of two stories he's collected. The first one was from a fisherman who claimed he could see these elves that are invisible to most. However, one day so this is a guy he goes out to sea every day and he he's like it's just a thing right he sees the elves go out and he goes out with them they go fishing he goes fishing Interesting. however one day he noticed that the elves did not put out to sea and he heeded their warning despite the fact that it was a beautiful day out there didn't seem to be any reason not to go out to sea and he decided he despite you know maybe some laughs and some uh, scolding or whatever he told his colleagues the same do not go out to sea <laughs> there was a terrible storm later that day and all who heeded his warning were safe however many boats did not return and they were lost to the ocean interesting yeah so the elves have they know something they're smart people here
0: you know the whole the whole thing with being invisible too. that that whole thing is it I want to come back to that later, the idea of being literally invisible and or invisible because they live in places that people can't find. Mm -hmm. Like, it's more figurative, right?
1: This was almost described as a seer. Like, that's how he described himself. And there are various individuals that will do the same and we'll get to them, too. And they, they claim to have this affinity with these invisible folk. You know, you can kind of see beyond the veil and into something else.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. He had another story though. This anthropologist Magnus and Denzin. Denzin. I don't know. <laughs> Getting closer and... every time. Scarf oh yeah. Denzin. Yeah, exactly. We got the first name down. I need to sure. practice before we actually sit Scarf down. That's <laughs> yeah, good. But this one's even weirder, and it came from a woman that was in her eighties, and this encounter occurred in the early two thousands. It was two thousand and two when this elderly woman ran into a young teen who claimed to know her asking where they had met he gave her an address where she had lived 53 years ago where her daughter had claimed that she had played with an invisible boy hmm and so it was the daughter of this elderly woman that actually encountered this boy but the boy recognized the mother and approached her and so when the mother actually confronted her daughter about it and described what this teen quote unquote looked like uh she was like mom it's muggy or mudgy i don't know how they pronounce it over there Mm -hmm. but apparently so this was a childhood friend of hers that had aged about five times slower than a regular human being, according to this anthropologist. So that was weird, man. Yeah, that again speaks to the longevity of elves and uh, how they can coexist amongst regular folk, perhaps uh, invisibly, but they are actually there. Right. Another interpretation of that. Pretty... What do we What do we think of those stories?
2: I'm going to let you go first, Justin. Let's let's hear what you think about that. Okay, I'm going to say this right now off the top. Um, if either of my kids or any of my kids comes up, to, especially the younger ones, comes up to me and says, I'm playing with an invisible something, something, I'm not, we're, we're moving immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just making that clear first. Yeah, um, yeah. So the thing I've been thinking in the back of my mind when you're telling me this stuff is like, Stuff that's been passed down through families, like Mm -hmm. old wives' tales, stuff like that, and the fisherman one, um, as somebody who fishes, not professionally or anything like that, but just for the, you know, fun of it, there's a lot, you know, fisherman's tales, stuff like that, there's a lot of, like, lore and stuff with, like, going fishing, it's like, oh, it's doing this outside, you might, you should use this, it's stuff that's passed down, like, orally. Between totally. fishermen and I can see passed down, you know, from father from father to son and so on and so forth. So this whole report of this fisherman, you know, could have come from his, you know, his father and his father's father and so on and so forth telling them you totally. know, Oh, hey, did you see that if you see this, don't go out to sea. Right. You know, and it's it the the thing you're seeing is the elves out there yeah. and stuff like that. So I can see it being more as there's signs he saw because to this day, to this very day, if I'm driving or if I'm out and about and I look and I see a tree and the leaves are blown over to where like, you can see like the discolored underside of leaves. I'm
0: mm-hmm. like, Oh, there's
2: a storm coming. Mm-hmm. Is there one? I don't know. It's just my grandmother said that constantly when I was around her when I was younger. Yeah. So it's yeah. something that is embedded into my brain and will probably be embedded into my kids. Cause I probably mutter it every time. I see I'm like oh there's a storm coming. <laughs> so it's one of those things that it's like could that have been how he knew to look for these things? And yeah. could mm-hmm. that have been like warning signs that he, they had always been told but it was elves when it was very really just like oh common things that could have shown there's a storm coming that you don't physically see yet. Yeah. So that for the first one that's kind of my take on that is is there something there maybe but there could be a much easier i'm I'm not trying to be a wet
1: blanket no no no,
0: and we come across that a lot right like more
1: mundane to a certain degree sure the 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 quote from the article was (laughs) the fisherman was able to see elves and would also go out to sea to fish on the morning of february 1921 he noticed they were not heading out to sea and he tried to convince the other fishermen not to go out either so either he's yeah. like seeing things that other people aren't seeing or he's claiming to see them and attributing it to that when it's actually other more natural or mundane reasons like you're saying there but, but, <laughs> which and, but, i can like definitely you're... believe too right you now who wouldn't want to say they can see elves like you know <laughs> yeah yeah unless you're gonna be sent to the madhouse
2: <laughs> as for the second story it fits a lot of the descriptions we get of elves you know the aging slower it's just—I don't know. It's just weird because I'm like, that's—that's mm-hmm. that's just yeah. weird. I feel like there's two crazy people that ran into each other almost.
0: It's one almost. of those strange ones. Yeah. It's—it uh, it is just anecdotal, obviously.
1: Oh, totally, hundred percent. Yeah. It's—it's yeah, it's, it's interesting because, to a certain degree, if you are an elf, even if you are a child, like. If you have your own realm, why would you go into the realm of the humans, right? Like, what's the purpose? Like, you know what I mean? Besides th- to have a playmate, wouldn't you have other elven playmates that you can uh, that are more akin to you? Or is this like a fox and a hound kind of scenario here? Yeah, it this could... is
0: something we we come across a lot when it comes to ideas of things that are that can physically exist in our world, but aren't necessarily from this realm or world or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And the idea of whether or not it's a clear. If you believe any of this at all, obviously, if it's a clear choice to, you know, go through a portal or go through a a crossing over point or if it's just um, by accident or just because of the place and context that things are seen. You know what I mean? It's not as Hmm. if an elf opens a door and is like, "Ah, I'm just going to go into the human world for a little bit. See you later, ma. Shut the door and (laughs) now I'm going to go play with my friend. Mm -hmm. It's kind of just more there's areas where. There's activity.
1: True. The weird part was the address, right? Because that lady lived there like 50 plus years ago kind
0: of thing. Which could be like tied to place. That's what seems to come Mm -hmm. up a lot with these things where there's rocks that are known as the Elf Rock or Dwarf Hill or this, Mm -hmm. that, or or a Troll Mountain or whatever it may be. It's very much geography related. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: There is some more
0: specific stuff. Sorry, go ahead there, Zanger.
2: No, I just wanted to throw this out there real quick. Um... (laughs) This is me getting really abstract for a second. So you said, you know, doesn't don't they have other elf kids to play with? <laughs> what if they don't? Because, I mean, if they have longevity, maybe it's not a good idea for them to have a lot of kids.
0: So it might be something
2: where, like, you have a kid maybe every 50 years. And True. it's not, like, common for you to have a ton of kids around small yeah. populations what if, too
1: what if this poor little elf child was like robin and winnie the pooh and he has to go to the hundred acre woods to find someone to play with
0: <laughs> <laughs> well that's kind of what it sounds like right where it's this, yeah it's it's a crossing over point
1: it's very whimsical it's, it's like not threatening or anything obviously the woman was freaked out if this is a true story and yeah and you it. have to take this with obviously a huge grain of salt here This is coming from an anthropologist so whether or not these things actually exist the belief exists in that sense they do exist you know what i mean right that makes sense yeah
2: Yeah. as it points out um iceland is very i mean is a very accepting culture of stuff like this so somebody coming out and saying this doesn't sound as odd as like me running outside and saying it Mm-hmm. and and
0: that's that's something that like it's tough for us to kind of like make judgments on i don't know anyone who's lived who's lived in iceland or or is icelandic but i think it's something like a little over 50% of the population like definitively believes that elves and and the hidden folk uh do exist in some shape or form mm-hmm. and then the other uh another different percentages of the uh, the remaining 50% don't really know they're sort of undecided uh which is re- really strange. It is totally a different culture.
1: It's almost like you don't want to deny it in case it's true. But at right. the same time, you don't want to overtly acknowledge.
0: <laughs> which is, yeah. I mean, but why? It's it's kind of interesting.
1: You just want to be ambivalent. To
0: go back to the construction stuff, because you brought that up, Zeng. Yes. I actually have um, one of those examples that was from the late 1930s, which is pretty interesting because it was taking place uh, at a road near a really famous place that's known as Elf Hill or Alf Hol something along those lines in the pronunciation.
1: <laughs> That's really close to another word. I'm <laughs> <Alfhole? laughs> Okay, never mind. Asshole?
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not really, but I guess. Kind <laughs>
1: of. <laughs> I don't know. But this
0: is the most famous uh, alleged residence of the Elves, and this is near the city of Udir. Uh Close enough. Mm-hmm. I have <sighs> no idea. Zenger, you want to give that one a go? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Co- uh, Copa, Vol- Copa Volgur.
1: Yeah, oh, there you go. It's
0: hard. So this Elf Hill allegedly had construction that was supposed to begin uh, right alongside, a highway right alongside where this uh, this famous Elf residence was w- allegedly took existed. And basically, the, structures, the construction started, but it was delayed at first because of money problems, which was the first sort of strange thing because it was a company that allegedly had deep pockets. When the work finally did start they encountered all kinds of problems, inexplicable problems. Machinery would break down, tools would just disappear, and the road ended up having to be rerouted because of all these issues around the actual Elf Hill. And the belief was at the time, the elves were obviously interfering with the construction because it was taking place on their territory. Later on, this is like 50 years later, 40 years later, the same road was set to be raised and repaved and sort of redone. But when the workers reached it and were about to do some demolition and kind of work on stuff, their giant rock drill completely shattered into pieces, like didn't just stop working, but just fell apart. And then when they brought in a replacement, the same thing happened, too. And at this point, the workers allegedly got so spooked that they just straight up refused to work there, a, a fear of being, you know, getting on the bad side of the elves. And this was a relatively recent story. So I'm going to throw it out to you guys. Obviously, this is, again, in Iceland, where people believe in this stuff. But this is getting a little bit more specific.
1: I have my own theory on this. I might save till the end of the section. But, uh, Zanger, what are your thoughts?
2: So, going with my vague knowledge on this stuff, I heard that, like, construction sites would leave out tools. If the tools were left, you know, like, hey, we're going home for the night, leave out the tools. If the tools were there in the morning, it was like a sign from the quote-unquote hill folk that it was good to work like That's they were cool. okay to work right. i don't know how true that is with this stuff but this because it says that you know to lost tools broken machinery it seems like there was something messing around with stuff bad bad juju in the air if
0: you... yeah and it's it, you know it reminds me again i already threw this out in your part one the idea of uh skinwalker ranch and the uh i think it was a post driller that just appeared at the top of a tree Mm -hmm. obviously a very different entity or something but trick trickster-esque you know what Mm -hmm. i mean obviously meddling yeah meddling it's like it's defensive if you're if you believe that this is their territory but it's also like yeah things disappearing things breaking it's paranormal but it's also to be expected i guess
1: it, it, yeah, it does it have a mundane explanation? Does it have a human explanation? Or, uh yeah, a more supernatural one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh This doesn't end here, though, because I, I have a couple more articles that we can uh, talk about here. And this was from 1971. And this was when elves disrupted another construction project of a national highway. This was heading from Reykjavik. Reykjavik. Reykjavik to the northeast. <laughs> And this project, again, suffered a lot of unusual technical difficulties uh, because, hmm, because the elves did not want their home, which was a large boulder in the area, to be right. moved. And this was interesting because this is where we get into negotiations with the elves on the part of the government right. <laughs> of Iceland. They made the <laughs> agreement... I don't know how they came about this, but they came to this agreement that they would leave the stone for a week and they would then move the stone about 15 meters to the side so they could continue with their construction. This is weird. It's almost like this peace bond to a certain degree. It's like, we'll give you space to kind of like have your... You know, yeah. have your ritual, have your ceremony, and then we'll gracefully move this just a little bit out of the way and then continue on with our project. And this apparently worked. They, they were very gingerly lifted this massive boulder, and you can go and look at these online. It's huge, yeah. this thing. Yeah. And they gingerly lifted it up and placed it very gently in its new home, and the elves were supposedly happy. However, hmm, there was another another encounter between the government and the elves in 2016 related to construction again there was a a rock slide and they were cleaning up debris and they accidentally covered up one of these rocks that was known to be an enchanted elven home and nobody at the time thought of the rock as uh this one guy is oh my gosh zofanaia <laughs> son. Okay. wow okay he's uh he works for the construction company and he said that no one thought of the rock and then when they realized what had happened they obviously fixed it because they started to have like meddling again right where the yeah. tools were breaking all this kind of stuff so again there was a happy ending for the rock the elves and the people so they unearthed the rock this was the iceland road administration they decided that they would gingerly move it again and They pressure washed it. Yeah, cleaned her up (laughs) for the elves. Damn. Because it got a little bit dirty. (laughs) But essentially, the elves were appeased by this and all hunky dory after that. However, uh, there was this one woman. uh, Okay, so this is another person that claims to be a seer of elves, kindred spirits, so you could say, I guess. Mm -hmm. And her, I don't even want to pronounce her first name, but I'll say jones dotier was her last name and she was actually witness to the upheaval and the moving of this stone right she (laughs) is also i'm just i don't know if i should even say this but she's known to be a um what what would the term be like a not a tree hugger but like you know like a an activist an environmentalist uh, Yeah. yeah that type of thing so Again, she's kind of known to live in this, like, volcanic rock part uh, that's a highly regarded spiritual place for elves. And she kind of, she's, like, almost like their conduit. So I'm not sure if all of these, like, negotiations were done through her or through similar individuals, that type of thing. Right, okay. But that's where we kind of get into my sort of, like, I don't even know, like, this is kind of my... What would you call it? Like, alternative theory, I guess, is like, sure. Are the elves yeah. meddling with all this equipment, or is it activists? Is it environmentalists? Does it have a much more human cause, right? You have to entertain that possibility. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I was going to go, I thought you were going a totally different direction. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: <Okay. laughs> what were you thinking, Sanger?
2: You mentioned the volcanic stuff, and I'm like, Iceland is like super volcanic, and it could be leaking gases, and. People oh. could be
1: hallucinating. Ah, seeing Instant stuff. there
2: is, yeah. That Potentially. There. I mean, mm-hmm. the the
0: one counter I would have to that, the idea of ac- activism and stuff, is that a lot of these locations, despite them being designated as elfin locations, they're not necessarily like, you know, like if you're building a highway adjacent to an existing highway, it's not like you're exactly cutting down great redwoods. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's not like it's a...
1: So this is their landmarks. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I mean, you you, uh, you had this point up here that was pretty cool, like the 20, uh, 2012, the idea of uh, that rock being designated. It's protected as, yeah. a, as an elfin heritage site. It is. Which is... Uh,
1: the, the, it's the thing... important to them.
0: Yeah, it's... and, like, that's the strange thing because, like, we have an acknowledgement from the government on the one hand and it's, like, seen in the West and by people in Iceland as well as, like, a, a cutesy kind of a thing, I think, right? Mm-hmm. I think we can probably all agree on that, yeah. that it's, it's almost like...
1: It's tradition and convenience. It's tradition
0: and, and convenience, but at the same time, it's, like a lot of extra effort just for those things. So that's why it's interesting that you have this 50-50 split where there's people who genuinely do think these things.
1: I will say, too, it's um, very integral to the tourism sector of Iceland for <laughs> yes, to certain no, degree. That is, so you have to have your... Surprised. Right? Yeah. So this is, again, another sort of uh, motive to keep these places sacred. And I have this interesting little quote here. This is from uh, Terry Gunnell, who's a professor of folklore at the University of Iceland. And he just kind of spoke to the idea that it's more of this folkloric nature of tradition that keeps these sites sacred. Then it's much more effective than government policy. He said here, this is a quote, They're protected by stories about the bad things that will happen if you do like mess with them is what he meant to go on right. and say this word of mouth passed down over generations is usually more effective than an official preservation order which is to me again it just speaks to the way it's entrenched in the culture
2: yeah
0: no for sure
1: mm-hmm. i mean
0: we got to get to iceland it sounds like a pretty sweet place yes i'd, I'd love to go totally love to go to
2: any of those countries iceland mm-hmm. norway sweden
0: All of them. It's on the bucket list for sure.
1: Let's do it. You know,
0: the, yeah, (laughs) let's do it. The three of us, let's go (laughs) book the tickets. I wish I could afford that right now. Damn. Things obviously were, I have this little bit here. I just wanted to add before we move on to other creatures, but obviously like the perception or like conceptualization of what an elf is, uh, has morphed a lot over the years. And like, I threw out that bit off the top, the idea of like the different perceptions of size or what these things might actually be. Mm -hmm. And, by the 1500s, people had essentially in different, you know, uh, fairy tales and things like that had just been incorporating them into stories, including fairies and other different creatures and stuff like that. And then trolls get involved. And, you know, by the 1800s, essentially, a lot of these creatures are really conflated and crossed over. And we've got all kinds of different versions from friggin' the fairy and Peter Pan and people probably thinking that that's an elf. You know what I mean? And things like that. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm we're going to avoid that you know i threw out the christmas angle too the right jolly, jolly old elf of of saint nicholas and the, you know in the the end of the 18th century and stuff like that don't want to talk about that we want to talk about more about the delineation between elves and the next creature that is dwarves
2: hmm.
0: and we definitely have some questions for you zanger about that specifically
2: yay
0: <laughs> yeah, you seem pretty excited about it. <laughs> but before we get right into dwarves, we, uh, we have something actually kind of special here on Into the Portal. So we are going to take a really short break from our brand new sponsor. So take a listen. You know, podcasting is amazingly fun and we love doing the show, but sometimes things can come up that really lead to some stressful days and quite honestly, some tough nights sleeping, you know, work, bills, the recent loss of a loved one in our family, for example, trying to keep up with things can get us down, you know, just like anyone else and stress can really build up and it's not always easy to find someone to talk to. So when we were approached by BetterHelp here on Into the Portal, we were really excited to talk about what they do. BetterHelp Counseling Service is a new way to get the help that you need when you need it, which, you know, let's face it, it's not always easy to ask for help. Well, now it is. BetterHelp offers secure, convenient, professional, and affordable counseling services.
1: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. This is a really easy way for you to get help on your own time and at your own pace. It's private and reliable help that's available when you need it. You can book video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist on your schedule and in a secure environment of your choosing, which is big when you feel like you need to really open up to someone. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who have a broad expertise in areas which may not be available to many locally. They specialize in everything from depression, anxiety, grief, family conflicts, and what's really great is that Anything you share is confidential, and you can literally start communicating with a real person in under 24 hours in the format of your choosing. Desktop, mobile web, Android, and iOS apps.
0: And best of all, it's a truly affordable option, and Into the Portal listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code PORTAL, spelled P-O-R-T-A-L. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com portal and simply fill out a questionnaire to help them access your unique needs and get matched up with a counselor that you'll love. That's betterhelp.com portal. Financial aid is available for those who qualify. So please, if you feel like you could benefit from this, check it out. And again, that's discount code portal, P-O-R-T-A-L, to get 10% off your first month using BetterHelp.
1: All right, so make sure you go check out our new sponsor there. It's a a really great service, and uh, if you're in need of that type of thing, then we highly recommend you check it out. Absolutely. Now let's get into dwarves. Okay, Mm -hmm. crossing
0: over now. And to be totally honest with you, I mean, if I had to pick, like, a desert island uh, creature from what we've been covering today, the elf stuff is really interesting. The idea of dwarves and what they're able to build... And those legends just mm-hmm. totally fascinates me. The idea of where they live, uh, also hidden folk, very much like the elves that we already talked about, but different in their own way. Mm-hmm. So
1: They're makers.
0: They're makers. They're pretty
1: cool. And we've actually, I feel like when we are starting to do the research for this section, we started to have some crossover with other topics that we've covered in the past yeah. regarding little folk or little people. That's right. We'll that get into build that.
0: amazing things. So like we've talked about already, and like Justin covered in part one, these creatures go back a long, long way. They're involved in all kinds of different mythologies. It's kind of tough to exactly pinpoint um, because of different oral traditions. And then obviously we're dealing with things like sightings and, and real belief in these types of creatures. So it gets a little hairy when we're trying to pin down exactly where they came from or the uh, the origins of the word per se. But the old Norse uh, version of the word is... Uh, deverger or d v e r g r which is really hard to pronounce uh, which is in line with the species of uh Huder folk or hidden folk inhabiting interiors of mountains or different lower levels of abandoned mines hollow spaces within the mm. earth oh that's a crossover some weird paranormal mm. stuff we've covered goblins <laughs> a veritable essentially a veritable labyrinth of mine uh, shafts and complexes beneath the earth earth if you can picture this and it just seems like the coolest freaking thing in the world that this is
1: where the dwarves reside So unlike what we discussed, well, we kind of debated about the elves as far as size, right? Because we did see some references of them being smaller, some of them being tall, slim, demigods, all that kind of stuff. Dwarves of various types are basically all of a smaller stature, and some of these are no more than 18 inches high, 45 centimeters if you're in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) So no more than the height of a two-year-old child. and. Mm. This is strange to me because when I think of a dwarf, I think of them as being like kind of like nobbled and ugly and like, you know, misshapen features perhaps and big ears and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they are described as beautiful, hmm. yeah. but more usually they do resemble these old men with long beards, humpbacks and all that jazz. They're gnarled uh, workers in the earth. <laughs> the gnarled workers that never see the sun. <laughs> What's your perception of dwarves in
0: terms of the mental image you get, Justin?
2: I never thought that small. Like, that's small. That
0: is small. Like, and that is, like Amber alluded to, more in line with creatures like the Mm Menahune, which are extremely tiny master builders from uh, ancient Hawaiian lore, but Mm -hmm. are very, very similar to these dwarves. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little more in a sec. But
2: Mm -hmm. See, I was getting excited for the sightings to wear, like, some bearded, like, three-foot-tall person or so walked around with like a pickaxe and you know was grumbling about like <laughs> hi ho hi ho off to work he goes i know right i was assuming that that was gonna be it but when you said 18 in no more than 18 i'm like that's a lot smaller than i was thinking
1: some of them not all but some of them are.
2: yeah I, i'm mm-hmm. still though i was thinking like i mean like i said once again Maybe reading Tolkien recently was not the best thing to do.
1: <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs>
2: it definitely paints an image for you, for sure. It, it, but I, in, in my mind's eye, for like when I was going over the Norse mythology stuff, I had always assumed these very swarthy, you know, not like, I mean, definitely like some, someone that would work in the earth, you know, a little bit, you know, more squat, you know, definitely beards and stuff and everything but i i didn't assume like that's small and everything Mm -hmm. no i said so that so that's hit me for a loop
1: you know i have a question would they be born with the beard (laughs) yes (laughs) or do they have to (laughs) grow it with time almost like with uh the trolls and troll hunter where it's like they don't they're born with one head and they grow others as uh, they age (laughs) right but Anyway, not to
0: give anything away because uh we're gonna get into that
1: obviously exactly so as we've already alluded to in uh part one with Sanger on saying this podcast make sure you go check it out these dwarves Ooh. are master builders they're yes. makers they're blacksmiths they live in these underground cities and these are extremely hard to find they're hidden away from humanity which is very cool in my opinion. It definitely bleeds into hmm, Lord of the Rings again for mm-hmm. imagery in my head. Like, you know, this grand entrance into this underground, like craziness. What do I, what do you think about that?
0: I want to find one of these entrances. That's all I can say. Do
1: they exist? Can uh, we access
0: them? The the thing that this reminds me of, and I want to toss this out is the idea of the hollow earth and different spaces and potentially those being very literal and real and being access those being the access points you know what i mean so does Mm -hmm. that tie into this at all beliefs like that it just wasn't articulated in the way we think of the hollow earth today Mm. but spaces where these cities and these builders could like do their work what do you guys think about that
2: i mean that's a common theme in a lot of mythologies and stuff this like there's places under the earth totally um H- Hades, for example, in Greek mythology, mm-hmm. um, is one. Technically, I mean Norse mythology. There's what we're talking about right now. Nidel Nidl- is supposedly an under, possibly underground place. Right. Um, no, I mean it's 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 a common thing. I mean hell, technically, I guess too. Sure. In Christian mythology, uh, Ju- Judeo-Christian mythology, um, religions. I mean, it's, 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 it's a common theme that creeps up, but it's also, you know, places that are dark places that, you know, humans would have trouble living in or being able to be our, you know, primordial fear of the dark and of right. the unknown. Is there something right below my feet? It's, it's, it, it just lends credence to so much stuff that it's interesting. No, to, for to sure. think about. And, and that, like I said, when you bring up hollow earth now, you get an eye roll, but it's like It's not referring to like the earth's completely hollow. There's hollow places, possibly, where stuff could be. And that terminology, I think, is something that I'm I'm not subscribing to it, by the way. I'm just saying that it terminology like that is a little bit more digestible. Totally. Than the buffet sized hollow earth of, oh, no, it's just, there's a whole world under there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can find
0: the entry points and fly into it type of of hollow. It's it's more
2: of like, no, 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 there's, there's, areas where it's hollowed out exactly and when i go in
0: a hundred percent that's why I actually could, you referenced uh, kong already uh, amber mm-hmm. they did a good job in that film on that mm-hmm. point because it was like no it's not completely hollow as they found interesting spaces where yeah things existed and that's what i think of when i think of the dwarves and Maybe something very real finding a a space to be. And we have some theories at the end on this that this possibly could have popped up from very real human beings that were doing this, whether or not it was associated with stories of miners or whatever. And Mm -hmm. we actually talked about this in our goblins episode, too, because there's some crossover with goblins when it comes to this stuff as well, Mm -hmm. especially when you go all the way back and connect it through language with essentially uh, just Germanic uh, nomadic populations and Mm -hmm. their beliefs in those types of things, goblins specifically. And the goblin tunnels in Germany
1: that we yeah, talked about. Yeah, those were weird, yeah. man. So
0: Menahune, just to chuck that out again, the reason that we obviously were reminded of them, uh they're similar, similar you, description. They're master builders. Do you want to give a quick description of those guys? Yeah, sure. So the Menahune are essentially they're mythological creatures of the of the ancient Hawaiian Islands. They were supposed the, to be the, the, the first
1: descendants or sorry, the ascendants of the Hawaiians, the pre Hawaiian population. Yeah, yeah, they're
0: the um Yeah, they're the the origins of the Hawaiian people. Ascendance that doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, whatever. (laughs) But what's interesting about them is that they're associated with, like, landmarks, right? So that's very much the same as these creatures here, the elves and the dwarves, where there's maybe a really specific rock.
1: These feats of uh, engineering and other sorts of things. exactly. Mm. And it's so
0: intimately tied to geography and, like, uh, people's, I guess you'd say, respect for the land and, like, how proud they are of their place and I feel like that's why in Iceland this is such a significant thing right but mm-hmm. that I, th- I think that's why we wanted to chuck it out there because they're known for building for example like uh, this massive um, breakwater breakwater mm-hmm. which was built thousands of years before the first Polynesian settlers so the legends go
1: mm-hmm. or hundreds of years I don't
0: know that uh, well before and it would have been nearly impossible for people of their stature and at that time to have completed.
1: And that's where you get into what I was talking about just off the top here, where it's like, are we talking about small creatures? Are we talking about a diminutive term for these creatures, right? Are we is it like almost a derogatory thing? little the little people, like you well, know, not, not when a... we look at
0: the myth, the stuff that Justin talked about, I guess. I mean, do you what do you think about that, Justin?
1: So
2: I just had an interesting thought. Yeah. Iceland active volcano, Manahune,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Hawaii. Volcano. Ooh, volcano damn
1: connections or active volcanic
2: connected. areas that is actually
1: interesting. really interesting and that is intimately connected to the underground
2: and it's just weird that you i mean it might just be a weird coincidence you guys brought up just two locations that had that no like i said the, the stature of them i think that's where we were at the stature of them is something like i said that smaller size is something i would associate normally with like maybe gnomes or something like sure that. oh yeah sure. Which I guess the difference is, I don't know, gnomes are supposed to have beards too. Hmm. I know, right?
0: And the menahune had beards gnomes. too, so like the physical description was very, very similar. Gnomes
2: but have hats. They
0: do, <laughs> they do indeed have hats. <laughs> Let's just jump right into, or jump back into, rather, some of the mythology stuff specifically on dwarves. Because I, I added this under Yay. here, the quest- questions for Zanger. Uh, the four dwarves uh, that you, you touched on very briefly, so... I'm going to let you pronounce these again. Uh, some of these, uh, and, uh, obviously all coming from these uh, very detailed mythological stories. So
2: I got to pronounce these Goody. <laughs> uh The four dwarves, Um, Austri, Vastri, Nordri, Sudri. Yeah. Boom.
0: Nailed East, it. West, North, South.
2: I probably butchered every one of those. <laughs> and I'm proud of myself. Yeah, we're proud of you <laughs> oh, too. Dude, that was awesome. Yeah, that was good.
0: So, Which was the dwarf specifically, again, who built Thor's hammer? Refresh my memory. I
2: thought it was Brock. Brock and... Okay, so there's something I don't think I really pointed out in that episode, which I will point out now. It's Brooke and Adri. But sometimes Adri is referred to as Sindri.
1: Oh, okay. It's the
2: same person. Once again, weird multiple names for the same person. Right. So because in the God of War games it's Brock and Sindri, but in all the mythology stuff I did research on it's Brock and Adri.
1: Hmm. Gotcha. Different guy, same guy, we might never know.
2: Yes. Brock Brock is the continuing thread, but the the the, the other name kind of floats. So I just wanna point that but no there and then the um the ones that are the Sons of Ivaldi, which I don't think are named in anything and if it's off the top of my head, I'm not thinking of their name. I don't think they were ever truly named in at least Gaiman's gotcha. stuff. I think one of them is named in uh, the Gospel of Loki. But once again, I don't remember it off the top of my head.
1: No worries there.
2: Apologies. But it, it's, it's definitely not those names.
1: hmm. Okay. Uh, these are quite... Uh, I would say they're symbolic to a large degree. Obviously, holding up the four corners of the sky. These actually were dwarves. If I'm correct, me if I'm mistaken, but I feel like these were dwarves born from Ymir. That original oh, was he a giant or something along Did you those say lines?
2: Ymir, yeah.
1: Emir, y- I can't remember how you say it, but Emir, yes. Ymir. 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 yeah. Sorry about that. Gotcha. Emir, um, yeah, and and a lot of him was sort of uh, crafted into different sections of the world or realms, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, Singer.
2: Hold on a second. I'm looking it up. Uh-huh. He's looking it up. Because <laughs> <Awesome. laughs> I came she across that briefly. And like...
1: Ymir and the idea that he was uh, a giant, he, she, hermaphroditic, and that it was uh, like a lump. That was um, basically born off the first couple of gods or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, just... I'm mistaken about a lot of things, though. And uh, to be honest, my brain is like working at quarter capacity at this moment. So, you know, uh, just uh, bear with me there. It's been a busy week.
2: The first, okay. Ymir, the first being a giant bigger than worlds. The ancestor of all giants, Ymir, was notorious by the Nursed by the first cow.
1: Right. Yes. Okay. It's coming. He's yeah. like
2: the first thing that like everything comes from. And if I remember correctly, he's basically killed to make like all the world. Oh right.
1: uh, yeah, they bleed him dry. I think his eyebrows become one section of something. Oh, like yeah, yeah. His... <laughs> yeah. It's
2: it's all of his parts become different things. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. basically. Odin and his brothers made his Made the soil from Ymir's flesh. Ymir's bones, they piled up into mountains and cliffs. The rocks and pebbles, sand and gravel you see, those are Ymir's teeth and fragments of his bones that were broken or crushed.
1: Mm. Hmm. Painful.
2: And I know the eyebrows are in there too. He, he, he was long dead by the time they were doing this.
1: <laughs> They're like plucking yeah. out all the individual eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> or do you just rip it off in one go, just like a wax strip? <laughs>
2: I, you know what, for this, knowing Norris, it was one at a time, for the hopes of, you know, some sense of, you know, humanity, it was it was all done at once, but I, I know deep down it was not.
1: <laughs> deep, deep down.
0: <laughs> Just to kind of, like, come back to what these things actually look like in the sort of strange different descriptions over the years, we mentioned off the top the idea of... Sometimes being described as beautiful and that I see that as a conflation with elves Mm -hmm. potentially being different sizes and stuff. And then another reference uh, seen as pale and ghastly in appearance, but without things like beards and some of the typical very uh, Tolkien descriptions we might think when we think of dwarves, which is kind of interesting. And that obviously falls more in line with living underground and never being exposed to the sun, having extremely pale skin. So mm-hmm. if
2: we want to go for a Tolkien reference for anyone keeping score at home, uh, don't think Gimli, think Gollum. Exactly. Right.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Which is Which basically that sense. description. Yeah, extremely pale. Still not, I mean...
1: Yeah. D- ghastly. <laughs>
0: yeah, very yeah, ghastly in appearance. A lesser a lesser th- uh, entity in a way, if you will, but still obviously like they're known to be extremely intelligent not only master builders but just wise in other ways too and i thought this was really interesting zenger and you'd really appreciate this because uh, especially heading into a part three but the idea of not just master builder dwarves that live underground but mountain dwarves dwarves that maybe live in slightly different locations and this reminded me of the trolls mountain trolls versus forest trolls or the different types of trolls that they bring up in troll hunter So I thought that was kind of interesting. Was there anything that you came across, like, reading some of the more detailed mythology in Gaiman's book and stuff like that, where there was not just the realm of of the dwarves, but maybe more specifics within the realm, where it's, like, a mountain dwarf or different sort of types of dwarves within that? You know what I mean?
2: Well, I mean... Like, the Sons of Ivaldi are said to be, like, live in one area where, like, Brooke and Adri live in a different area. Right. But they they're, they're they're all in the mountains and stuff like that.
0: So this is, like, a more modern interpretation probably from, you know, like, yeah. Norwegians and stuff being, like, oh, that mountain over there. Or yeah. this mountain range over here.
2: Also... I'm trying to think, because I'm like, I don't think, I mean, they just mention, you know, the dwarves and stuff. They do mention that, you know, there's they're in different regions, but they don't distinguish them at all is the thing. Right. Aside from, there's this set, there's this set, there's this set, but they all sort of live in underground areas and different mountains and... Work metals.
0: Right. hmm I've got a pretty specific description here. Um, part of it's from Britannica and part of it's from NorseMythology.org. And it's giving some details on the mountain trolls specific- specifically and the idea of them being organized into kingdoms or tribes with their very own kings. And this... Definitely ties into troll hunter, which I can't wait to talk about. But not only that, but they had uh, chiefdoms and essentially armies as well. So I guess this sort of falls in line with the Ragnarok thing and having forces Mm -hmm. against the gods potentially, right? And again, the story continues. Like we've talked about already, living in subterranean halls believed to potentially be full of gold and precious stones, whether or not they stole these items or forged them themselves, like you talked about in, in your Part one, Mm -hmm. uh, making a boar, was it, out of the skin? Uh,
2: Yeah, um, they had a boar skin that they made a living boar out So you'd,
0: like, make something out of nothing. And also
2: living hair that was spun from gold, too. So,
0: yeah, so that's, that's kind of fallen in line with this. Like, they're potentially seen as greedy, I think, in some of the sort of versions of stories and stuff like that. But I just thought this was so cool because it falls in line, yeah, again, like I said, with the trolls and living in these caves and stuff in the mountains, but still having these very distinct sort of chiefdom breakdowns of how they exist. And this comes back to the idea of hidden folk, you know, dwarves being Mm -hmm. uh, potentially invisible. They're seen in in this reference from Encyclopedia Britannica. They're able to make themselves invisible, quote unquote. And whether or not that means they actually have that power, like the invisibility cloak in Harry Potter, or they just disappear into the mountains and caves beneath the earth is sort of left up to interpretation, I guess. Hmm.
1: But yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny too, because like we were trying to come up with, you know, sightings from the area, you know, the um, Scandinavian area of the world. And in a lot of cases, I feel like a lot of resources either aren't translated into English, And a lot of the ones that are translated in English have a little bit of a touristic note to them. And they do talk more about sights as opposed to actual sightings of these creatures. exactly. And maybe this is because these dwarves live in their own part of my guard, a place no human could find. (laughs) Yeah, that's what they say. Perhaps. But I thought it would be fun just to dig up a couple of places where you could possibly encounter these mythical creatures known as dwarves and the first that i located was east of foss another butchery here you can do it i feel like it's a silent d dvergd hamdar i don't know sorry that's just garbage (laughs) but it is it's it's basically a formation of basalt columns and it's known as the dwarf rocks and Typical to Iceland, it is a protected natural monument. There will be no construction, no demolition, no nothing going on here besides the dwarves doing their thing. So I thought this was really cool because it's very impressive when you look at pictures of it. Yeah. These columns and just the whole facade of this sort of monument if you want to call it that and it was made by cooling volcanic lava Uh another reference to volcanoes here so coming out Uh of the earth all right subterranean all right there we go yep and uh because these columns as they're cooling they're subject to contraction forces as it's known it causes these impressive horizontal cracks which just leads to this like it almost looks like it was constructed like In ancient times, almost similar to Nan Madol and the Polynesian area. They're not Polynesian, um, the Pacific. Yes. Anyway, so this site known as Dwarf Rocks is believed to be home of these mythical creatures, though, like I said already, sightings are rare if they happen at all. And if you have an encounter with one of these, it's probably more of like a spiritual thing than like, a oh, a little man just came out from a rock and talked to me for 10 minutes and then disappeared or something, you know what I mean? Which doesn't
0: mean it didn't happen. It's just not necessarily a physical, hey, I have a beard. I can reach out and touch you entity. (laughs) I'm going to touch you with my beard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to flick my beard at you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that was one that I pulled up here. There's another location uh, known as, I don't even want to say it, but it's known as the Rock of the Dwarfs. I'm just going to say the anglicized term for it. And it's in the eastern part of Iceland here. And this is a really incredible rock. It's a singular rock. It has kind of a peak at the top of it. Mm-hmm. It's pockmarked but smoothed by oceanic forces of a previous age it it's very impressive. It looks like it' almost looks like there's tunnels going into it. yes, which some people some of them are so large that you can stick your head inside of them. so for a dwarf again, I don't have bet. the exact height of this rock. Sorry, guys, I should have pulled that up there, but. Is very intriguing, very Z- spiritual looking.
0: Zanger looks like he's got the pronunciation for this word.
1: Oh, do you? Um, or are you just looking? It, it up? is a
2: silent D. Yeah. According to the pronunciation thing, I got. Okay.
0: Vergastein? Vergastein.
2: Vergastein. Cool. Virgastine. Is what the pronunciation. Nice. Is what the. Um. Hawking voice just attempted to say. Ah. So perfect
1: (laughs) okay so this rock does have a lengthy history and it has a nice story to go along with it here the story goes that there was once a vicarage at the east of a nearby fjord fjord Fjord. (laughs) and this rock was situated beside it so vicarage you know it's a spiritual religious site sure and It was always referred to as the Home of the Dwarves or the Rock of the Dwarves, even in those times. However, you know, shifting populations its not a densely populated area. And because of these shifts in populations, at one point it was decided that they needed to move the vicarage in order to serve the locals better. So the rock was left behind and they moved it to the other side of the fjord. However, the story continues here. The builders were sort of, you know, reassembling the vicarage, getting all prepped and ready when they noticed a, quote, house sailing across the fjord towards the new site. When it arrived on the shores, it was none other than the Brock of the Dwarves. Yeah. Crazy. Sailing towards the church. And they actually planted it beside the church. And it remains there to this day. And it was kind of funny because they described it as when it landed, they were like they're amazed to see it was this rock complete with the inhabitants. So I don't know if they could see them or if they just they were implied to be there. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Exactly. And this church was located uh, at this location until the early 1920s. However, as the population decreased, it was again moved. Gotcha. And the rock remains. It's. A solo rock now so it didn't make another travel <laughs> but anyways <laughs> i would highly encourage anyone to go look at this rock and the other places that i've mentioned uh they're both very intriguing there's a couple of english blogs or english translated blogs on them too uh, including guide to iceland they have some really cool resources on their webpage there but anyways what do you guys think of that i just think it's
0: so cool how all of this is so intimately connected to the land you know what I mean? And oh, like, yeah. And, like, landmarks that people are proud of. And it just makes me want to go and, like, see this and, like, yeah, maybe have a spiritual experience that's associated with elves and dwarves. And that's why people in Iceland and these countries feel like these things mm. are real.
1: What do we think about the connection between Zvikridge and the dwarves?
0: I don't know. Justin, what do you make?
2: Uh, bet- Between the church and the dwarves?
1: Yeah. Like, is there some sort of connection? Like, is this, again, like we've kind of alluded to before, is this a christianization of traditional mythology and you know that type of thing like it seems kind of strange that the dwarves would be drawn to a vicarage unless there was some other spiritual presence or reason for them to be there you know what i mean yeah uh
2: if you want my opinion on this one i think it's a story that was handed down involving dwarves uh when christianity started to become more popular in the area they attached christianity to it to make it appeal as a story that can continue, mm-hmm. to yeah, be told
1: exactly. But
2: but um, giving the same message, yeah. Off. I mean, that's that's just my guess on that. From my interpretation of that, mm-hmm. I I don't think the the Christian stuff was involved to begin with, per right. se. But right. exactly, I think it got added on there.
1: The rock was already known as the Rock of the Dwarves. So perhaps the vicarage set up shop beside it because it knew it already had spiritual significance. And like you said, Zanger, yeah, they could kind of tie in this sort of already, you know, it's already a legitimate or seen as an authentic sort of spiritual or sacred place. So let's put a vicarage right beside it and then just kind of continue to feed that sort of um, idea. I know
2: there's a term for it and I cannot remember it off the top of my head, but a lot of early churches were built on like ancient sacred sites for Norse mythology as sort of a, you know, this is your sacred site, we're moving this sacred site here to kind of, let's transition you from worshipping this to worshipping this. Also, if I remember correctly, and please don't anyone quote me on this, I think the Celtic cross originated from them altering Thor, the like Thor's hammer medallions. Hmm, if I remember correctly,
0: I I have not heard that. No but we kidding. can dive into
2: that, and it kind of makes. Sorry, sense. Sorry, it's it's just That's like I'm going off top of my head with stuff right now. Um, oh yeah, yeah. A lot of the stuff I mean I'm looking at here is just showing like a few of them are like transition. I mean, it's not that hard to see how they could do it.
1: Sure. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Yeah, totally. I immediately, as soon as you said, like, oh, sacred place, that's like, you know, either pagan or some other religion, and then Christianity plants itself on top. There's so many famous examples of that, even in Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. right, where they're still fighting over it to this day. Yes.
2: (laughs) Because, I mean, you're trying to get the, not, not to... Not to belittle religion, anyone's religion or anything, but, um... No, no. It is documented that, you know, a lot of stuff, especially with, like, the Norris and stuff like that, were when Christianity came in, trolls, stuff like that, a lot of the gods right. were um, changed into different stuff for, you know, oh, oh, we, you know, this still exists, but it's not this. It's not capital G God. Yeah. Sort of thing. Mm. We have capital G mm-hmm. God. And, um... But I can definitely see that. I mean, of course, they adapted to, oh, you come to this place to worship. We're going to build our church here for you to still you, you still come to this and slowly
1: swap it mm-hmm. slowly it becomes naturalized yes. over time. Yeah, exactly.
0: And I totally buy that. I mean, obviously, we're always trying to find the real nuggets of
2: the nuggets of gold.
1: Well, that's just it, though. Yeah, exactly. There's a nugget that's a pre-Christian nugget way beyond the Vicarage, right? It was already kind of acknowledged. Well, and that's
2: the other thing. As I was explaining in the other episode with, you know, the Aesir and the Vanir gods, it's like it could have been the same thing to where, you know, oh, well, we have this Mm -hmm. set of gods called, you know, that we, you know, Odin and the Aesir. Oh, well, we have this set of gods called the Vanir. Oh, well, why don't we, you know... Let's slowly swap them together, and it's one thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I, no, I, sure. I,
2: I really can see that with with a lot of stuff with you know Norse mythology and all that stuff, and you know a lot of mythologies and stuff like that, and religions have a lot of common threads running through them for multiple reasons. But no, I just wanted to point that out mm-hmm. because that that is interesting.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I wanted to just pepper in a little bit more of a modern potential air quoting here, sighting of a dwarf.
1: Uh uh, Because
0: it kind of ties into some of my theory stuff here and the idea of tunnels and places where things could exist and stuff like that. I pulled this from a straight up just cryptozoology blog. Uh and this was in like the comments, like people were giving their stories and stuff, Mm -hmm. right? So it's almost like a, a subreddit type type deal where it's purely anecdotal. Yeah. But somebody had claimed to have found this story that was written in a diary from 1138 in somewhere in remote Germany, uh, where there was allegedly a monk who was in control of a monastery in this small little village, and he had a story where he wrote down that he had an encounter with, quote-unquote, a dwarf. Now, the story goes that he essentially, like, came back into the like the basement, the cellar of the monastery at one time, and there was a creature there. It had entered somehow. He didn't know where the entrance point was, but it was extremely, like, dark, almost black in color, as if it had crawled out of the earth, and didn't speak any known language, so to speak. And the monk allegedly captured this dwarf, uh, tied it up by a rope, but after a little while, let the slack off of the, the rope to kind of see if this thing would run or if it could communicate with them in any other way. He le- he allegedly locked the door, left it down there, but when he returned shortly after, uh, it had escaped, it had left, and there was a, an overturned stone in the floor where it had essentially gone through a tunnel existing underneath the monastery and escaped. <laughs> of course, there's a hardcore Christian angle to this. Obviously, yep. this is existing in a monastery, and then this alleged tunnel that it escaped into was then sealed with a uh a plate with a cross marker on it as if to imply that this creature was coming up i guess from the depths of hell and or something that just wasn't uh that wasn't kosher <laughs> I
1: interesting
0: guess. uh so but, i thought that was a kind of weird story obviously this yeah. is 1138 way more modern than some of the stuff we've been mm. talking about so far uh
1: well, well more modern.
0: Well, like from the ancient mythology. Oh, okay, like the, okay, the okay. Stuff from not from the
1: last story from the right. 1900s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not that,
0: but in terms of the origins of the creatures, right? But I thought this was really interesting because it ties into the idea of the Erdstall tunnels that we talked about in our right. goblins episode, in the
1: underground access, so. and
0: potential theories for how the ideas of underground builders actually came to be. So I pulled this quote from lifeinnorway.com and I, you'd referenced is, I, was this the McKay? Uh, I can't remember exactly. I'll have to pull it up again. Perhaps uh, Andrew McKay, not <laughs> me. Other Andrew McKay.
2: Well, Very complicated.
0: Anyway, yeah. this is a quote that I thought was really interesting because it says, unlike this, and this is a, a quote specifically to, he references them as trolls, but this is purely reminds me of all the dwarf stuff we've been talking about. So It reads as follows, unlike their forest-dwelling cousins, quote-unquote cave trolls live completely underground and genuinely depicted as smaller than humans uh, with a large round abdomen and short stubby arms and legs. Hmm. That is much more of a description of a dwarf, and Hmm. there's obviously, once again, this crossover here with that where it's like, these are miniature trolls in the earth. We've gone from a
1: crossover with elves and dwarves, and now we're going to dwarves to trolls. I
0: know. I know. So, I don't know. What are your guys' immediate thoughts on that?
2: I mean, I've never equated trolls and... Man, I really need to get out of Tolkien in my mind, because I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) It's tough. It it, it is, because he he formed, like, our modern interpretation of a lot of these things. And I find it interesting because... um, Like, with the elves, as we pointed out, the whole, are they small, are they these tall things? And none of the sightings, the sightings kind of, I think, alluded to them being human-sized. Right. Mm -hmm. And these dwarf things are something that, I guess, you know what, I just put something together. Maybe the dwarves are the smaller elf versions. See, that makes sense it, it it does so i know no it's just all just like like that piece just fell onto the puzzle and i was like wait a second that works perfectly if they're you know just the smaller version of them
0: no it totally does and the question is i guess Oh, man. I mean, there's more than just one question. There's a lot of friggin' questions mm-hmm. when it comes to this stuff. I get because I, I before I even forget, I want to come back to the Erdstall tunnel thing because we're getting down into the end of the episode into some sort of theories, and it's tough to have theories really on this stuff. We've already kind of talked about it as we've gone along here with like the Icelandic government stuff and things like that. And but volcanoes. I thought this was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, over the centuries, people have proposed the same thing we talked about in our Goblins episode the idea that there were. Norse and Scandinavian peoples themselves that were either of larger stature, uh, so associated with like the taller stories of elves, or of smaller stature that were minors and worked in different positions that would have been better suited for tiny people. So nobbled small humans that could fit in these tiny holes, right? Which was <laughs> very much the case back in the day. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that for these very strange and you know, unsolved reason for the Erdstahl tunnel systems in Germany, which normal-sized people can't fit through. Right. And there's discussions about whether or not these are entry points to a realm of the goblins, mm-hmm. which is very much in line with gnomes and trolls and stuff like that because it's rooted in Germanic language traditions. I just thought that was kind of cool. So an Erdstall, type of tunnel found throughout Europe, mainly in the southeast of Germany and Bavaria and Austria... Thought to have been created sometime during the Middle Ages, although some people have claimed that these tunnels date back before the Stone Age, which would tie us into some of these ancient mythological creatures like the dwarves. I thought that was just kind of neat.
1: I love it. Everything's connected. Interesting. Everything's
0: connected. <laughs> so we're kind of at the end here. Final theories and thoughts. Let's go to Zanger first, just to kind of wrap up your where you're at with this part two. Where you're at on the connection from the ancient stuff to people's belief in these creatures modern day.
2: So I guess the best way I can put this is when this was proposed, when we proposed this, I was like, cool, I get to get Norse mythology out of my system. And then you were like, oh, we're going to get some, you know, recent troll. I mean, tr- troll stuff will come in come later. Some recent oh, um, yeah. dwarves and elf sightings. I was like, huh? Okay. I I was like, they're going to find nothing. And then you came at me with this stuff, and I'm like, oh, I drastically underestimated this. I found it very (laughs) interesting and a nice little icing on top. I said, I've genuinely had some revelations as we were going through this of, like, the volcano stuff. The, you know, our elves, dark elves, or, or, you know, elves slash dwarves being Mm -hmm. the same possible... The same, but different, in different Mm -hmm. forms. So I found that all very interesting, and it it was very eye-opening. Like I said, I knew a lot of stuff about, like, Icelandic, you know, Hilda folk, stuff like that, in the sense of just that, you know, they had a lot of respect for that stuff. But opening that up now with your information has definitely widened my perspective on that. Cool.
1: That's awesome. So
0: we're teed up nicely to talk about uh, my favorite of the three, Ooh. which is trolls for trolls. part Trolls. because that's kind of the juicy nugget. Yeah. Uh there's definitely some more encounters and sightings and stories, if you will, when it comes to trolls. And uh, but Amber, what are your final sort of thoughts here before we wrap this up?
1: I'm not doing any finalities right now because Ooh, this yeah. isn't wrap up for me because we've still got another part. But I will say that. Yeah, Justin, it's kind of funny because we did the research on this end of this episode, but you're right. Like, I actually had a few revelations, too, and it's kind of funny. It's like, yeah, like this uh, this whole metamorphic slash underground slash volcanic sort of phenomena coinciding with these places, too, is actually very, very interesting to me. Yeah. And time. while we didn't actually come up with stories other than that eight-year-old woman who claimed to have seen a <laughs> elven youth, we didn't actually come up with, like, you know, direct sightings per se but in my mind it's more interesting to just connect to the sites themselves yeah. and uh the larger picture right and just the cultural aspect of it
0: yeah acknowledgement from the icelandic government i i mentioned that to our our boss grayson today and he was like blown away he's like what yeah <laughs> they, they believe in that stuff I'm like yeah it's great I know. and
1: in my head i'm like half thinking i'm like is this for touristic purposes or is this like legitimate like they're like we don't mess with this stuff so we're just going to protect it and that's that.
0: It's a it's a healthy even split is my conclusion on that. Probably. That it's a it's a it's a it's a It, it is an even split.
1: It's generator. 50-50, right? People believe in it, people don't. Totally. There. Totally.
2: <laughs> See, we'll
0: have to go for ourselves
2: and just find That's out. what I was about to say. I'd love to go and just go in not walking up to people and being like, "Oh, show me where the hell the See if it just naturally comes out as something they're like, oh, go check this out. Because if it doesn't, exactly to me, mm-hmm. that's pointing to it's it's something that. But if it's just like the first thing out of their mouth is, oh, you're here visiting, go look at this site, or if it's something more of like you stumble upon it yourself, and then people are like, oh, you're, I see you're checking that out.
0: Totally, mm-hmm. and I think I I said this earlier in the episode, but I'd want to finish with the with the idea that if like I I can't wait to go do something like this go to go to Iceland Mm -hmm. and and, yeah talk to locals and and figure stuff out and be sent yeah like you said like don't force it be sent to these places but it's just interesting the idea that uh yeah I don't know just that uh that people really do believe in this I just I still can't really get over that the idea that them being invisible doesn't necessarily matter if you can go and have a feeling at one of these locations but not necessarily see a tiny little creature walk out from behind a rock
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah you might just chalk it up to a spiritual experience but obviously for these people it's beyond that it's a spiritual experience but with more like physical ties to the land
1: yeah that's something that needs to be protected
0: and it's that that to me makes it more real You know what I mean? It might not be real, like you can snap a photo, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it's not real. Very much like the energies at a Skinwalker Ranch or wherever you might be, right?
1: It's real in the sense that it's been passed down for generations upon generations upon generations. And in that sense, it is highly steeped in in their epistemological framework, right? Their way of knowing. Sure. And... uh, beyond that like you know like yeah into spiritual realms
0: I believe in dwarves and elves everybody <laughs>
1: <laughs> I believe in a thing called dwarves <laughs> <laughs> just listen to the rhythm I'm yeah.
0: alright that's bringing us to the end here Zenger where can we find This? give us the socials give us all the lowdown give us the details awesome
2: uh, you can find Zengness of course wherever you find great podcast um, you can also find us on Facebook just sort search Zengness that's Z-E-N-G this you can find us on Twitter once again, search Zingness all one word. You can find us on the Instagram, but that's Zingness Podcast. You can also, of course, find us anywhere online if you just search Zing This. Awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. So thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Zing This Podcast and yep. into the portal. It helps so so much, you guys. And
1: go check out our part one on the Zhang This Podcast.
0: Exactly. Check out check that part, if part one <laughs> if you haven't already. And uh, come join us uh, where we're chatting about this weird stuff. If you want to talk about trolls and gnomes and elves and dwarves and all this kind of crazy stuff outside of the podcast, join us on our Facebook forum uh, or the network forum, straightupstrange.com, and you can access it through that. So make sure you guys check out our network as well. Mm -hmm. And stay tuned for part three, where we're coming back at you with uh, our favorite tidbit and talking about some trolls. So until next time on Into the Portal.
1: Your gateway to the bazaar.
0: Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.